0: What we're about to do is something that you'll be very familiar with because of the churches that you attend. You're about to hear the word of God proclaimed. You're about to hear the word of God preached. You're about to hear the eternal word that God has given to us to reveal himself explained by brothers who are going to come and share what the Lord has been teaching them. And so you will be familiar to some extent what we are about to do. But there may be some aspect to this that you're not quite familiar with. Back in 2010, when I was still working at North Shore Baptist Church, we came up with this idea that we would try once in a while to do, and we called it the Relay Sermon. Actually, I think at the time, we didn't call it anything. It just eventually became that. And the way that it worked was we said we would have our elders, one at a time, take one portion of a chapter or one portion of uh, a passage in the Bible, and on a Sunday morning, we would just go through little pieces of it, and each elder would get five to seven minutes to share what the Lord was teaching them through that passage. And so by the time we get through all of the preachers, we get through the entire text. Well, today we're not going to go through... Uh, in that format. Today, we're actually going to be hearing not just from the elders of this church. We're going to hear no elders of this church. Today, we are going to be hearing from four pastors of churches represented here. Before I introduce them, I would like to ask if you are an elder or pastor at any of the churches that are here tonight, would you stand so we can see where you are and who you are? Thank you, brothers, for serving at your local churches. Amen. Tonight, you are going to be hearing from Nate Young from Crossbridge, Nathan Christ from Calvary Baptist Church in Bayshore, Mike Stephens from Syosset Gospel Church, and Nathan Swanson from the Bible Church in Port Washington. And you're going to hear about, uh, hear them in that order. And the way that this is going to work is very simple. Tonight, you are going to hear four pastors preaching to you about the pastor— Four shepherds teaching you about the shepherd, the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, from perhaps the quintessential Old Testament passage about the shepherd, Psalm chapter 23. And so tonight what they are going to do is one at a time, they're going to take a small portion of that text and then the next one will come up and they'll do the next portion and we're going to sit back and be richly blessed and fed from the word of God and from these brothers who have worked so hard to prepare it. So we're going to begin with Nate Young. Would you come and share with us what the Lord has given you?
1: Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 23. Uh, Caleb asked us to try to stay within 10 to 15 minutes uh, a piece, and then he asked two Baptists to go first uh, in the process. So I, I don't know if you're familiar with how long-winded Baptists actually are. Uh, he may have made having Nate and Nate go first, but we'll see. Um, tonight, he's asked me to just cover five words in English, uh, five words, three words in Hebrew, five words in English, the Lord is my shepherd. In English, Yahweh, my shepherd. In Hebrew, uh, and in these um, words, these short words that I'm going to share with you today, I want you to take away four four words about this Yahweh, our, our shepherd. That he is, I am, our personal possession, provision, and protection. Personal possession, provision, and protection. The, the Lord. That we see here should immediately in our minds, and would have in the mind of the reader of Psalm 23, linked it with this idea of "I am," and this is so important that that the author of he, of Psalm 23 here, David, starts with. The Lord, because David is about to tell us he's going to face or he is in some difficult times. And in doing so, he doesn't start with five ways to get yourself out of debt, or three habits to improve your health, or six tips to improve your marriage. He starts with the Lord. When we face difficult times, the one thing that must be clear in our hearts and minds is the Lord. There must be no fuzziness in our hearts and minds about the Lord or about Christ when it comes to facing difficulties. The one who existed before the world, before time began, the creator of everything, the Lord. And how do we know these things to be true about the Lord? In his word, he names himself. And in naming himself, he gives us a description of what he is like in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, Moses asks God a question. He says, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am, have sent you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now this is not just the God of the Old Testament. He is the God of the New as well. Remember with me in John chapter 8, verses 58 and 59, with Jesus speaking, he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I Am. and those that he is speaking to that time immediately understand what jesus is saying jesus is saying i am god i am the i am their response is to immediately take up stones and kill him because if he is not in fact the i am this is blasphemy but because jesus is the i am the god of the old testament the god of the new testament jesus can make these claims This means that the Lord is both the creator of all things and also the savior of our souls. John already confirmed this at the beginning of his gospel in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made together through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Yahweh, the Lord. But it doesn't just stop there. He says, the Lord is my. This immediately connects the I am with personal and, in fact, even our possession. This great God, the Lord, eternal in existence and unlimited in power and so vast that he fills the entire universe, is at the same time close and personal. And as we'll see later, he knows us so well, he knows our every need. No one in the world knows us so intimately that they know every desire, every need that we have. But the Lord God of the universe does. I've often tried to contemplate what it takes to hold the universe together and keep everything working as it should. And I can only imagine all the minute details that are involved in keeping everything together. I don't know about you, but most of the time, I feel like I can't keep my own life together. And when I get so entangled in work and bills and house chores... And when I get so busy in all these things, there's one thing that typically gets neglected in my life, and that is my personal relationships. I don't pay attention to my wife like I'm supposed to. I don't parent my children like I should. I even sometimes forget to call my mama. I let friendships fade. But brothers and sisters, not God. He holds everything together and at the same time lovingly maintains a perfect relationship with all of his sheep. In fact, he is so personal with his flock that we can actually call him ours, my shepherd. For there is no way in which God can be separated from his sheep. Let this provide you comfort for your souls to know that the Lord, the I am, is yours what else do we need brothers and sisters nothing the lord the i am our personal possession according to this text the lord is my shepherd that is me that means that he is both also our provision and our protection sheep are unable to provide for themselves and have a tendency to get into bad situations Some of you may know this, some of you may not. I actually grew up on a farm. I grew up in a home that wasn't in a city, if you can even imagine that. If you grew up here on Long Island or you're familiar with this area, I didn't live in a town. I grew up around cows and pigs. Not a whole lot of sheep. My my friend Trevor Swain, his family owned sheep. And sometimes when we would go to their house, his dad would make up make us get up early in the morning and tend the sheep. And can I confess to you, Trevor and I were bad shepherds. Trevor liked to play tricks on the sheep, meaning if you can get the first sheep to do something, all the rest of the sheep will follow. And what Trevor would do would scare the first sheep in the direction of the side of their barn and then watch as the rest of the sheep plow into the side of the barn and the other sheep. We were bad shepherds we fail at the twofold job of the shepherd which is provision and protection and oftentimes when we think about shepherds we think about physical prote- provision and physical protection but brothers and sisters the great shepherd the lord jesus christ the i am provides spiritual provision and protection for us the church listen to these words in ezekiel Chapter 34, verse 32. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And then we fast forward to the gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 11, and we hear this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And so, brothers and sisters, when you face hard times, go back to the foundation of the Lord, your shepherd, who is your personal possession, provision, and protection, who has given you everything you need when he, as the good shepherd, laid down his life for the sheep.
2: Yes, but you don't need a shepherd to get what you want. If what you want is to be a billionaire, you don't need a shepherd. You don't need a shepherd to become famous. You don't need a shepherd to accumulate power and influence. You don't need a shepherd to fulfill all of your fantasies. You don't need a shepherd to book a luxury vacation. You don't need a shepherd to provide you with endless entertainment and you don't need a shepherd to move to a nicer neighborhood. You don't need a shepherd to get what you want, if that's what you want. America is a land of opportunity. You can do any or all of those things that I mentioned above, you can do those things yourself. Or if you need a little bit of help, there's probably a self-help book, or a podcast guru, or a government program or a life hack that you can avail yourself of to get what you want if that's what you want. You don't need a shepherd for any of it. But if the Lord is your shepherd, then you must reject worldly pursuits and surrender to godly purposes. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I will not lack for anything. There is nothing that I need that my shepherd will not provide for me. If it is something I need, he will provide. Psalm 84, 10 through 12 says a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. In other words, this is something that the psalmist desires is to be with the Lord. He says, I would rather, I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. For the Lord God is a sun and shield The Lord grants favor and honor. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Happy is the person who trusts in you, Lord of armies. My shepherd helps me to want what I actually need and what only he can provide. Rather than need or think that I need what the world tells me to want. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So today, if there's something I lack, it is possible that I don't need it. It is also possible that God has a reason for withholding it. I don't know all of the purposes of God. Who can know the mind of the Lord? Uh, but it, it's possible that you don't need it or it's possible that he has a reason For withholding it at this time. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There is nothing that I lack. Now, in verse 2, we read that um, this shepherd, our shepherd, my shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Another translation says, He lets me. I think English translations we're really struggling with this one as to how, how do you translate this uh, when um, when it's a, a, a verb where you're not doing the action it's it's something that's happening to you and so he makes me it's not that he forces me in any way but but that he causes me to lie down in green pastures he enables that circumstance he creates the, uh, the context or the environment in which it is possible for me to lie down in green pastures. And he does that in two ways. The good shepherd provides provides for us personally and collectively. And I think in this verse, he makes me lie down in green pastures. We're seeing what we actually need from our shepherd. And that is that we need the shepherd's provision and protection. And so in two ways, the good shepherd is providing provision and protection for us either personally or collectively. Now, I wasn't raised on a farm. I don't know much about sheep, but I did learn that sheep will not lie down if they are hungry uh, because sheep don't eat lying down. All right, so they're not going to lie down in those green pastures. The the emphasis is not on the fact that they are green pastures. It's that they are lying down in those green pastures. In other words, they are satisfied. They are fully uh, uh, satiated from their hunger. They don't lack anything this is a practical provision that the lord has promised to provide for us food and drink the basic necessities that he provides and the shepherd will care for the sheep intimately personally in that way and now another thing i learned about uh, about sheep is that they also will not lie down if they are bothered by parasites or bugs just kind of uh biting at them and, and bugging them in other words And so one thing that a shepherd would do is intimately care for each of the sheep. They would be led into these green pastures, and as they're eating, the shepherd would go through to each sheep and check and make sure they did not have those biting bugs or parasites. And in that way, he was caring personally for the sheep. And this is how God cares for us. He cares for us personally. But I think there's something rich about he makes me lie down in green pastures. Because not only does the good shepherd provide for each individual sheep, but each individual sheep is a part of a flock. And the, and the dangers that might uh, come to the flock are something that would come to each individual sheep as well. And so in that way, the good shepherd is making provision and, and protecting the, the flock as a whole. Uh, there are external, fl- uh, external threats like predators, um, wolves that might uh, be prone to attack. And the sheep will get nervous. They'll get anxious because they sense that there is danger nearby. But if they are able to lie down in green pastures, that's because the sheep know that the, that the shepherd has provided that protection for them. and They're able to relax. To the elders at the church at Ephesus, Paul said, be on guard for yourselves in Acts twenty twenty eight, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. When I see this imagery of a flock lying down in green pastures. I'm reminded of the church, the church that the great shepherd has purchased with his own blood and is making provision for the saints, for you and for me, by, by giving us uh, a, a church, a fellowship, people, brothers and sisters in Christ who we can have that fellowship with and uh, and, and be protected from those external threats. There's also internal threats though. I've never been a of a church that didn't have internal strife and that's the final thing about the sh- uh, the sheep that they are unwilling to lie down if there is tension just within themselves within uh, within the various sheep that are there that they will not rest because they are anxious they are there's there's not the unity or the harmony that they that, that is needed within the flock and so a good shepherd is enabling that flock to uh, to, to have internal harmony, internal unity with each other, just as we need within the local church. Psalm one says how delightfully good it is when brothers live together in harmony. See, the good shepherd has this personal relationship with each individual sheep, but he is also protecting and providing for the flock to be at peace with one another, so there's har- harmony and unity, so that they can lie down in green pastures. I love how the church continues to build on that um, imagery, where in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, we see a practical example of the church uh, being cared for by the flock, where there is harmony, there is unity, there is a collected purpose where God is taking care of each individual through the actions of the flock. It says in Acts 4, 32 through 35, Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. You know, it's easy for us to take Psalm 23 individualistically because, as as we've already heard, it starts out with the Lord is my shepherd. We, we should appreciate that there is that individual personal concern, Um but we're also recognizing that we are a part of a flock and we need that good shepherd, our good shepherd to provide for us within that green pasture that he has provided. So we need the shepherd's provision uh, and protection. We also need the, the shepherd's peace. It says, he leads me beside still waters. You know, the opposite of that is turbulent waters. And another thing I learned about sheep uh, maybe you know this, is that they um, grow wool. Uh, you know, the sheep have to be sheared. I hear that there is a shortage of sheep shearers in Australia right now, um, and so they're scrambling to find enough because if that wool gets too big, it's, it's really unwieldy, and a sheep can get too close to the water and kind of stumble in, and all of that wool just soaks up the water and it rolls, rolls off and drowns. That is the danger of a sheep being near turbulent waters. And I think of our society. We are a church. We are small churches throughout Long Island. But there, uh, as we look around at the world around us, it is filled with fear and anxiety and turbulence. But the good shepherd leads us by quiet waters. Psalm 36, 7 and 9 says, How priceless your faithful love is, God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They are filled from the abundance of your house. You let them drink from your refreshing stream for the wellspring of life is with you. By means of your light, we see light. And of course we know the words of Jesus in John 14, 27 where he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. See, Jesus has promised that he will give us his peace, and it is a peace that the world cannot provide. And if we are going to receive what we need, if there's going to be nothing that we lack, then the good shepherd is going to provide for us peace, tranquil waters, still waters, where we can be nourished and refreshed. And I believe that uh, you, you can make many applications out of that, but I would say through the living water and through the living word of God, we uh, get the food and the and the nourishment and the water that we need. So we need the good shepherd to give us provision, protection, peace, and we also need the shepherd's promise. It says at the beginning of verse three he restores my soul, he restores my soul another Translation would be, He renews my life. You know, what if I have strayed away from the faith community, from the church? What if I have strayed from the Lord's protection? What if I have rejected the Lord's provision? What if I have abandoned the Lord's peace? What if I have done things my way? What if I have accumulated for myself worldly desires? Well, that's where this promise is so reassuring is that he can renew or restore my soul. And again, I believe the the word of God is is a help to us. In Psalm 19, seven and eight, it says the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. And so it's in his word that we find the promise of eternal life. We find the promise of that hope uh, that, that the good shepherd provides. As it says in John 10, 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And so the good shepherd renews us, restores us, corrects us, and then restores us to his grace. You know, sometimes we doubt when when we hear that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or there is nothing I lack. Have you ever looked at that? verse and just thought I don't know (laughs) I don't know I mean sometimes we doubt that this is true because we don't always feel like we have what we need you know we don't feel like we have enough time in the day I don't I don't have enough energy to finish this project at work I don't feel like being responsible or I'm getting behind on rent but brother or sister don't despair don't doubt when the circumstances of life seem insurmountable In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter exhorts the elders to humbly shepherd God's flock and to remind the flock to cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And then in verse 8, it says, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. And then in verse 10 of 1 Peter 5, it says, The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little. Brothers and sisters, the Lord cares for you. He provides his word. He sends the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He provides a flock brothers and sisters who will encourage you. He provides a green pasture for you. He promises you eternal life. If you want all the luxuries and possessions that this world can provide, you don't need a shepherd. You might need a financial advisor or a life coach, but if you realize you need more than what this life or this world or even your own abilities can provide, if you realize tonight that you need a shepherd, then turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Cast your cares on the chief shepherd, because he cares.
3: leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So in the first three verses here of this well-known psalm, David gives a description of who God is and what he does for his people, specifically through the lens of God as, being, as God being our shepherd. And so obviously if God's our shepherd, that makes us sheep, And sometimes it appears that God created sheep with the sole purpose of being illustrations for us. The parallels between us being like sheep and God being a shepherd are seemingly endless. And since we live here in 2023 in suburbia, or maybe you're from an urban place, um, it can be hard for us to identify with this idea uh, of being like sheep, because not all of us grew up on, on a farm, right? I'm from Syosset, and the the town next to us is called Mutton Town, but there is no more mutton left in that town. (laughs) Those sheep left a long time ago. So it's hard for us to relate to uh, sheep and being shepherded and all these things, maybe not as much as an ancient Israelite may have understood it, but with just some basic knowledge of the behavior of both sheep and shepherds, this passage and, and others in Scripture as well should Uh, be able to click with us, uh, of course, with the help of the Holy Spirit. So notice here in verse 3, he says, The Lord leads me in the paths of righteousness. We've read so far that he makes David lie down. He leads him beside still waters. Now he leads him in the paths of righteousness. You notice David's not doing these things himself. He's not taking the initiative in, in doing any of these, or doing these things in his own strength. On the contrary, God is the one making him lie down or causing him to lie down. God is the one leading him, and we just like sheep need to be led. Sheep are not the type of animals that can be left on their own. They will inevitably get into trouble. Uh, domesticated sheep are entirely dependent upon humans. Uh, they're entirely dependent on someone who's smarter than them, stronger than them, so the sheep are entirely dependent upon the shepherd to bring them food and water and to protect them from harm. So not only are they very uh, dumb animals, uh, they are also defenseless. Uh, all they could do really is, is run and, and, and call for help, and that's basically us in a, in a nutshell, in our, in our own flesh. We are weak, we're defenseless, we're spiritually stupid, we're, we naturally wander off into danger. We need to be led by the shepherd, and that shepherd is, of course, Christ who he said in John chapter 10, uh, I am the good shepherd. And this verse in particular, in particular says that he leads his sheep in paths of righteousness. So paths of righteousness, we could say, are kind of synonymous with holiness, a holy life, righteous living, living life in accordance with the will and commands of God. It's the opposite of living for self, living a life of sin. And we get to this path of righteousness a straight and narrow way only by being led by our shepherd it's not something we do in our own strength and we're led there by the shepherd once we've been saved by him once we've been brought into his flock when by God's grace we turn from our sin and we trust in Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead we then follow him and he leads us into lives of holiness into paths of righteousness he does this not only for our own good but most importantly he does it for his own glory for his namesake God does all things for his own sake for his own glory and some skeptics might say well that's very selfish of God it's very narcissistic that God would say something like that but that's not true because God's not us God is not human God is not a sinner God is the greatest good God is worthy of glory and I'm glad he does all those things that glorify himself because He's worthy of it, and we're not. No one else deserves such glory. And it's comforting to know that God will lead us in the paths of righteousness for a reason greater than ourselves, and that's for his own glory. So our motivation for holiness lies not in making ourselves look good, but making God look good for his glory, for his namesake. So that brings far greater purpose and meaning to holiness than anything else. And because it's for his namesake, and because his glory and reputation are on the line, it means God's going to be that much more faithful to keep us on those paths of righteousness. And I trust you'll see that as played out when we get to the part that talks about the rod and the staff in just a few moments. So David said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Some people are afraid to die. Some people are not, and I think we would all agree that it is good to get to the place where you don't fear death. Now, of course, some people don't fear death because they've given themselves a, a false sense of assurance that nothing's going to happen to them after they die. Um, there's probably many atheists who are quite comfortable with death because they're just stardust, so they don't care. Um, and that's a false sense of assurance, but if there, if, A person is not right with Christ, they should fear death. But how do we get to the place of not fearing the shadow of death like David did here? How can we say truthfully and with full assurance, I will fear no evil? What banishes David's fear of evil and death, harm, is not that he will not go through the process of physical death or dying. What removes his fear is his assurance that the shepherd will be there During the process of death. In other words, his body may die, but his soul will be safe. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that is, even though I will inevitably get there one day and die, I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me, right? My soul is safe. The shepherd is there. And notice how right here, right there in the psalm, David went from addressing God in the third person to addressing him in the second person. In verses 1 through 3, he addressed God as he. Now he addresses him as you. It becomes uh, personal, right? There's this connection, like uh, brother said in verse 1. He's emphasizing that again. This is, this is not some hypothetical theological knowledge of God. This is intimate knowledge of the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He knows God's with him, and hence he will not fear. So brothers and sisters, if you... Have a Savior, the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who defeated death by rising from the grave. You have no reason to fear going through the valley of the shadow of death. If the one leading you has already defeated death, you're in good hands. In fact, you're in the best hands. So David knows God's with him. He names two things in particular that bring him comfort, two things that are reminding him that God is with him. He says, your rod and your staff They comfort me. Again, these are illustrations we kind of have to dig into a little bit for us to relate to this. So the ancient shepherd would carry with him a rod and a staff, typically, uh, when he was out herding sheep. So those are two different tools. They're not synonymous because sometimes the Bible uses uh, synonyms for they mean the same thing at times, but just different words. These are two different tools. Uh, The rod the, the shepherd would carry was essentially a club. So that would be about, usually about two feet long, and, and at the end would be a, a very hard, round knob. So they would carve that out of the wood, so it would be one solid piece with a hard knob at the end of it. And oftentimes, they would drive nails into the end of the, the, the knob, and so they stuck out a little bit. So if you're familiar with something like a, a mace, a, that medieval weapon with, on a chain, similar to that, just without the chain. So this was a deadly weapon. It would be illegal in New York State. Um, the shepherd would use this rod to defend his sheep against other people uh, that maybe were trying to steal sheep or rob the, ro- uh, the, the shepherds, and they would use it against predators, of course, uh, while they were out in the wilderness with their, their flocks. So this would be a defensive tool against lions, bears, wolves, etc. The staff, on the other hand, was this straight pole, usually about six feet long, and the shepherd... Uh, would use this for various things. Uh, but what's most applicable here for us is the shepherd would use the, the staff to strike any of the sheep that were straying, give them a little whack. Another thing I, find, I found that was very interesting as I was researching this, these things about the, the rod and the staff um, was that the shepherds would use that staff. Oftentimes they had you know the crook at the end. They would use it to lean on it. And you might think, that's what's the big deal about leaning on that? But there's, apparently there's something about the shepherd leaning on the staff in, while the sheep are grazing that gives them a sense of calm. While he's leaning on that staff, uh, they, they know that he's watching them, and it makes them calm. So you can see so many spiritual metaphors here in the rod and the staff of the shepherd. I think uh, the main reasons... Why God's rod and staff are comforting to David and, and to us uh, is, is the assurance of God's protection, right? God's presence and protection. Uh, David is sure here that God will protect his soul, even though his body may be destroyed in death. His soul is safe in the hands of the shepherd who's armed with a rod to protect him from outside evils, from sin, from Satan. And the staff gives him comfort because God will be faithful to strike him when he wanders off the paths of righteousness. So the staff, I believe, represents God's loving hand of discipline upon his children. And you may think, that oh, that's not really comforting. But if you think about it, it, it is. It can be uncomfortable sometimes. Sometimes God has to whack us pretty hard to cause us to get back onto those paths of righteousness and to follow him. So the rod represents protection from enemies without. The staff represents protection from enemies within, that is, our own selves. Christ is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for the sheep. He will protect his sheep until they finally come home to him. That is what brings us comfort, and that is why we do not have to fear even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death.
4: Well, I'm the last one up, so um, the more you stick with me and uh, maybe give a little amen here and there, we'll get you out of here, okay? I'm glad. It, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Let's keep this moving. Now, I, I'm glad to be able to address what I believe is a very happy ending to a very wonderful psalm. Few words are perhaps so sweet as the words, happily ever after. And uh, however frightful, however sad, however suspenseful the story may be that we are a part of or we're reading or telling, when we come to these words and they lived happily ever after, we are somehow immediately comforted and somehow able to relax again. Well, it turns out that these words are so sweet, they're too sweet, and that many in this world, especially those who believe that above us is only sky, would say that, really, such words only belong in a fairy tale. They are too good to be true. But I believe David would disagree. I think if David was here this evening, he would want you to know that Walt Disney did not invent and they lived happily ever after, but that these words, happily ever after, really originate with our God, who is the one writing the story of all of his true people. And here in this story of the good shepherd, or the image of the good shepherd, we see God's people ought to have the good life with him. Listen to the final two verses of this psalm. And notice how, once again, they're so personal and they're so vivid. Verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, some claim that there's a scene change here, and we don't have time to discuss all that, but the scene change would be from the Lord our shepherd to the Lord our host and Others would insist there is no scene change necessary, but the poetry is describing how a good shepherd will bring his sheep to the high table lands and feed them there and so on. The truth is that whatever the exact imagery, however you choose to imagine it tonight, you had better have your imagination working and you had better understand that that is all a secondary issue. The exact images, it's, it's the fact that you could come away having heard this psalm and being able even to regurgitate its meaning to someone else but if you do not as God's child personally and vividly live this good life that the good shepherd is offering to you you're missing the point of the psalm are you living this life do you know the good shepherd well how good is your life and how is the world without the flock to know how good our shepherd is if we don't believe life with Jesus is all that great So we must personally realize life with our Lord, this great, good, wonderful shepherd, is the happily ever after life. It really is. And in the final two verses, we see David gives two final reasons that life with our Lord really is life happily ever after. First, our Lord himself serves us. And David gives three images images in verse 5 for how to describe how God's serving his people. Look, first is the table. You prepare a table before me, in the presence of my enemies. Wow. The table is prepared before me, for you if you're one of God's children. Now, that's amazing because God is saying, I am setting the table for you. I am serving my people. Now, this would be absolutely uh, unthinkable. I mean, we wouldn't really have a category for this, would we, were it not for the New Testament that reveals to us God coming in the person of Jesus Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And we see that this good shepherd, our God, is the one who rises from the table. He girds himself. He kneels. And there at the table, he wipes the feet of his disciples. That's God serving his people. But he says the table is prepared In the presence of my enemies, David had lived through many dangers and toils and snares. But though David acknowledges the presence of his enemies and the reality of those troubles, yet his focus here remains upon the Lord. And he says, even in the midst of persecution and traitors or whatever's going on in this very midst of my enemies, you're attending to my personal needs. Do you see that? Is God, do you see that God has spread the table before you? Maybe you're in a wilderness stage of your life, like those Israelites that are described in Psalm 78. But do you believe, as the psalm poses, Psalm 78, 19, that God can furnish, He can prepare, same word in the Hebrew, He can prepare a table in the wilderness of your life? That's what God says. A second image describing how God serves his people is this oil. David says, you have anointed my head with oil. And this isn't the Hebrew word that is typically used for a regal anointing. This is a word that describes an anointing for guests at a banquet. You see, when God throws a party, he doesn't forget anything. He doesn't forget any of the details. And he lavishes love upon his guests, which is you and I, his people. Even anointing our head with oil the third image describes how God describing how God serves his people is the cup David says my cup overflows and this cup I believe is the cup of blessing it is the cup that God has supplied to us first of all and that means God has given us first the capacity to receive and enjoy his blessings you know you couldn't receive and enjoy Jesus Christ if God didn't make that available to you but he does that praise God And he gives us this cup and then to make everything all the better, he begins to pour out grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. So that you have not only life, but as Jesus said, I came that they might have life, but life more abundantly. Joy in Christ begins with salvation. It doesn't end there. And when David says, my cup overflows, he's saying, the Lord is not frugal with those at his table. That means if you're living the Christian life, supposedly, if you know Jesus as your good shepherd, but you're not at rest in the Lord. It's not the Lord holding out on you. You need to get along with God and ask him to make known to you the glories and the joys that David's talking about because our God indeed serves his people. You can't put the lid on his blessings. You can't quantify what he's doing for you. To try to do so would be try to stand under Uh, Niagara Falls, as it were, and catch it and contain it in a little thimble. You can't put a boundary on the blessings of God that he wants to give to you as his children. And this brings us to the next reason that life with our Lord is life happily ever after. Yes, he serves us. But we see now in verse 6, our Lord himself satisfies us. And isn't that really the, the summation of everything we've seen to this point? Verse 6, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Notice how God satisfies us first. His grace pursues us. And the very first Hebrew adverb in this phrase uh, here could also be translated only. Only goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Well, however you'd have it, I believe God's saying he loves his people. He loves his sheep so much that you can't escape his love. There is nowhere you can go in this life, if you're one of his, where you will escape the loving kindness and goodness of God. Isn't that amazing? You could no sooner leave your shadow. I mean, you could sooner leave your shadow than escape what God wants to do for your life. If you're one of his people, that's his security. That's the beauty here. And actually, in the Hebrew, there's a, what looks like a, a play on words, because David is being pursued by enemies constantly throughout his life. One time it's his own son Absalom, but he's saying, even in all that, God's goodness, his loving kindness pursues me. That's the hound of heaven. That's our God. He serves. He satisfies. His grace pursues us, and David says his dwelling is my home. His dwelling is our home. He concludes the psalm, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To dwell in the house of the Lord has to be the quintessential expression of contentment. You will never be at home outside of a relationship with God, outside of dwelling in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And so while people everywhere are busy looking for a home, looking to find a place where they will fit in, a niche where they can make it, where they will be happy, where they will have the good life, and they will do just about anything for it. David rejoices to know, I've got it. I have an eternal dwelling with the good shepherd, who is my Lord. And I am in his house, I am in his home, and that means anything he's got, I have access to it. Praise God. When we realize our Lord, how our Lord Personally serves and satisfies his people, we'll realize that life with our Lord, the Good Shepherd, is the good life. It is the life that is happily ever after in the true sense. That's not to say now our remaining days will be trouble free. David's life was anything but free of trouble. This man knew the meaning of pain and suffering and and fright and dangers. So let me just close with a story about what this psalm practically means. how it can practically be applied. Annie's mother died when she was only three. Her father was too sick to take care of her and her sister, so these two girls had to live with a widow who had children of her own, and it was very evident that she didn't really love them and treated them, rather, as a burden. Well, finally and thankfully, a Christian couple took the children in, they loved them as their own, and they taught them to love Jesus Christ. Annie was very bright. She eventually began her first job as a school teacher in her hometown. But that's when she began to show symptoms of arthritis, being that this was years ago. There was no cure or treatment or anything, and this soon deprived her of work. Then tragedy struck again, and both her adopted parents died within a few months of each other. Annie's health rapidly declined, and her doctor then told her she would become a helpless invalid for the rest of her life, confined to a wheelchair. How's that? For someone who loves Jesus, the good shepherd, how's that the happily ever after life? How's that the good life? Well, here's what this young woman had to say. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. That is the good life. Not a life of ease and without difficulty, but it's a life with the good shepherd where you Have everything you need in Christ. And when we grasp how our Lord intends to personally serve and satisfy us for his glory, we will realize that we have, just as David or any of God's people, the happily ever after life that is here described. Thank you.
0: Brothers, great job bringing the word tonight and sharing with us about the Good Shepherd. Uh, One final word that I would like to to make, and that is, if you are here as a friend, I thank you for joining us. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you do not know this, this Good Shepherd as your personal Lord, I would ask that before you leave tonight, if you want to know how to be guarded and receive provision, if you want to know how you don't have to fear death, if you want to know how to have that happily ever after kind of life that this verse describes, then please, before you go, speak to any one of the preachers who are here tonight or to myself. We would love nothing more than to share with you how to know the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. Let me share with you one final verse, and then we will pray, and then we'll rise and sing. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 says, Now may the God of peace who brought you again from the uh, brought again from the dead our lord jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through jesus christ to whom be glory forever and ever amen father god i ask that before we go tonight you would allow us once again to worship you in spirit and in truth as we lift our voices Lord, we pray that it would be a pleasing aroma, and I ask, Father God, that every person in this room would be encouraged and strengthened and built up and edified in Jesus Christ through what we have heard today. Allow us, Lord, to walk out of this building different than we walked in. Father, I ask that you would make us more like Jesus Christ, conform us to his image. And Lord, I pray that as we sing this final song and as we look around the room, let us be encouraged by one another as we see you working in each other's lives. Father, I thank you for this evening, and I pray, Lord, you would bless every person here. Allow them, Lord, to know the Good Shepherd even more. It's in his name, the Good Shepherd's name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.